you have a copy of God's word, turn with me, please, to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, looking at verses 17 through 19, and ensure that you keep your Bible open, we'll be going also to Genesis chapter 22 here in a few minutes, so kind of put your finger in both places, we'll be Bouncing back in between. But our main passage, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. Speaking on the topic, faith that pleases God is tested. Your faith, if you have true faith, if you're a true believer, will be tested. God has a right to do that because he gave you faith. And he will test that faith to strengthen it, to prove it, uh, to show it and put it on display for others to see. So your faith will be tested is our main point here this morning. We've got some sub points that help us to kind of understand the testing of faith and what is required of us when God tests our faith. We must surrender what we hold dear to God, surrender to God what we hold dear. This is one of our sub points. We must submit our futures to God. And the last sub point would be strengthen your faith with the knowledge of God. So look with me at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, frequently speaking, he did receive him back. This is God's word. If you're a believer here today, I want to tell you what God is more interested in in your life. God is more interested in making you more spiritually mature. That's what that prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians believers that Pastor Mark read, that prayer was centered around the spiritual benefit of the Ephesian believers. This is God's greatest concern for you. Not health, not wealth, not what you own, not your family. Now, these things are important, but what is important to God is your spiritual state. Your spiritual maturity. Listen to James as he echoes this reality of the importance of spiritual maturity and how God develops us spiritually. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith, that's what's important. 
to God. Your faith. Your spiritual maturing in faith. For you know that the testing of your faith produces. God is, God is doing something. He, the, 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 the testing of your faith produces something. Steadfastness. And James goes on and says, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect. Not perfect in the sense that you're perfect and you'll do everything right, but perfect in the sense of a completeness, a maturity, perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Peter says something similar. First Peter chapter one, verses six through seven. He says, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious. Listen to what, how Peter characterizes your God-given faith if you're a believer. The genuineness of your faith is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is your faith that is important to God, your spiritual maturing in faith that is important, so important to God that he will drop you in the refiner's fire. He'll drop you into the refiner's fire and heat it beyond melting. And heat your faith in order that your faith will come out purified and strengthened. That all the the other things that you're clinging to and holding to and putting hope in, in the world, in your life, all those things, those temporary things, perhaps even temporary blessings, those things that you're holding on to, God push you in a in, in trials that that test you. So that all you have to depend upon is his word in faith. And that's the, the this has been the intention of the writers to help these Hebrew Christians to understand the importance of of faith in their lives. Persistent faith. Faith that persists through all difficulties. The author of Hebrews desires that the people that he's writing to and for us who are reading Hebrews, that that we be people of faith, strengthened, strong spiritually, that we be people who live lives of faith that 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 clings to Christ. That 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 persists in circumstances that may seem to contradict what God has promised for us in our lives. This is what God desires that I, that I, that, that we understand that the faith that he gives us, it will enable us to persevere all the way to the end because it is God who will Sustain your faith and strengthen your faith. But it's your responsibility to walk out that faith. God will do his part, but you got to do your part. 
even when it gets difficult, and it will get difficult. Some of you are going through, even now, difficult circumstances. That perhaps contradict what you believe. But if you're going to sacrifice, live a life that is sacrificial to God, a life that obeys God no matter what, you need to understand the nature of the faith that he calls us to live. And this, in our passage today, the writer turns our attention and our focus to the way of faith again in the lives of his true people. And we'll see a, today our focus will be on Abraham. So let's look at our text. Your faith will be tested. This is our main point. Look at the beginning of verse 17, where our attention is again drawn to the faith of Abraham. Look at your Bibles. Look what it says. By faith, Abraham. We've already seen that Abraham believed in God and his promises. Faith, like Abraham, we saw that his faith, it looked away from himself and it looked out and away to God. And this is what true saving faith does. It always looks out and away from self to God and to Christ and to cling to God and to Christ. And we've seen this with Abraham. Faith never clings to self. Faith never focuses in on self. Faith focuses, true saving faith focuses out upon the prom, on God and his promises in Christ. And we've seen that with Abraham. He, he, he struggled and, and, and he struggled time and time again. But in the end, he trusted God. And so, so true faith clings to God, it knows God, uh, it has confidence in him and, and it acts uh, according to, to his promises with obedience, no matter the difficulty. We've seen with Abraham that by faith, when he was called, he left for an unknown destination in verse eight, verse eight of Hebrews chapter 11. We've seen by faith that he lived his life in the in the land that God promised him. He lived, he and his family, uh, he and Sarah and 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 they, uh, Isaac, they lived their lives in in this land that was promised to Abraham. They lived as aliens. They really didn't own the land. God promised the land to Abraham, and and he never owned the land. Just owned the cave, but he can, he persisted in faith. And, and, and perhaps the, the greatest challenge for Abraham was that God promised that, that not only would he have a land, but God promised Abraham that he would be a great nation. And in order to, and that his descendants would, would number as the stars in the sky and the sands on the sea. And re, if you remember, Abraham didn't have a son. He had Isaac, I mean, uh, 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 Ishmael, but Ishmael wasn't the son of promise. And God told Abraham that. He told him that it was in Isaac 
that this promise would be carried out. But before Isaac was born, there was no, there was no child to carry out this promise. Sarah, she was barren all her life. Sarah, his wife. And she was, she was postmenopausal. She was past the child bearing age. It was impossible for his wife to have a child. Abraham, it was impossible for him as well. In a sense, because Sarah was, was the one through whom the, the son would come. And yet, they both responded with obedient faith. And God gave them a son, miraculously gave them a son at old age. And if you track the journey of Abraham, his faith, even though he struggled, his faith grew stronger and stronger and stronger. According to Romans chapter four, verse 20, Paul says of Abraham, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God, but he grew strong in his faith and he gave glory to God. But Abraham's, this, this, that wasn't the end. Yet Isaac, miraculously, by God's power, he and Sarah had a son when it was impossible. And all of that was leading up to the supreme test. First, by faith, notice the text, when he was tested or tried, offered up Isaac. Now, this testing by God is, is not unusual. God tests his people. Psalm 11, verse 5 said, the Lord tests the righteous. Proverbs 17, 3, the crucible, the, the writer says the crucible is for silver and the furnace <clears throat> is for gold and the Lord tests the heart. God gives us the faith we have. He has the right to test that faith and he will test it. He gives it to us to, to uh, uh, test and trials, to prove it, to strengthen it and to encourage others. And, and, and let me tell you something, beloved. God tests your faith. He, perhaps you're being tested now and God doesn't owe you an explanation. Of why you, of why he's doing what he's doing. He doesn't owe you, he doesn't owe you the reason why he's doing what he's doing. Because he's God. And so Abraham, when he was tested, he obeyed. He offered up Isaac. Secondly, no, he, his faith was obedient. He, 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 faith is not something that is just passive. He, he offered up Isaac. And, and the amazing thing about this, this, this verb offered up is, is the verb tense. It's, it's the, it's, it's, it's perfect. It's in the perfect tense, which refers to an action completed in the past 
with continuing results. And we'll see the significance of this when we read, when we read Genesis chapter 22. It's, it, it, it refers to a completed action in the past. And so so, so in, in reality, I, I'm going to build this up for you. In reality, Abraham never did offer up Isaac. We know that. He, he never offered up Isaac. But in a sense, for, for Abraham, it, it was already a done deal. When he received the command, he heard it. He accepted it. He believed that God would keep his promises. And it was as far as Abraham was concerned. God said God commanded. And as far as Abraham was concerned, it was a done deal. It, it, it was a done deal. Abraham was determined to obey God. It, it was as good as done. Just think about that as we go back here in a few minutes to Genesis chapter 22. He Abraham has submitted his mind, his affections, his will and obedience to God. And one author noted it this way. He committed himself to the fact that Isaac must be slain. It, it, this, this word offered up is used in reference to sacrifices. And if you want to look at this later, go back to, to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1 verse 3, and it refers to even Christ's sacrifice. The same word offered up is, is used of Christ offering himself up as a sacrifice for sin. And we'll see as we go back to, to Genesis, we'll see Abraham didn't complain. That's, this is why this, the tense of this verb is important. Abraham didn't complain. He didn't ask for clarification. He didn't argue with God. He didn't try to reason his way out of this test. Because he had true faith, it revealed itself in obedience. Now, for us to get the details of this test, turn back to the first book of the Bible, to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, we look at verses 1 through 12 and, and follow along as I read. After these things, notice God tested Abraham. It was God who tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He was sensitive to the voice of God. Verse two, he said, and here's the command. Take your son. Your only son. It seemed like God would just made he's making it more difficult as it goes. He said, take your son, 
your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Notice that God didn't tell him where he was going. This is similar to what God had done in the past, right? Told Abraham to leave Ur. And Abraham didn't know where he was going. God was preparing Abraham for this test. Offer him up as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. This seemed to, to contradict God's promise. And only the pagans offered up their children to, to their gods. The Canaanites in the land in which they're, they're in, they offered up their children to, to, to Molech. So, so what God is commanding of, of Abraham here, here seems to, it seems to contradict what God has promised Abraham, that, that through Isaac, that he will be blessed through Isaac. But notice Abraham's response, verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac, and he cut the wood. This is the obedience of faith. For he cut the wood for the burnt offering and then rose and went to the place of which God had told him. And Notice in verse four, the time span on the third day. <laughs> we just celebrated something that happened on the third day, didn't we? <laughs> on the third day. But I, I want you to think about this. This, tr this transpired. Three days had transpired. That Abraham had received this command, and for three days, this was in his mind and in his heart. That's why that tense back in Hebrews chapter 11, for in those three days, he wasn't, well, I, am I going to do what God says? No, in his mind, it was a done deal. I'm just waiting to move out. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. Look what he says. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and took in his hand the fire and the knife. Some say that, that uh, Abraham took away all the things that, that uh, Isaac could use to hurt himself. 
And here it is. He's getting ready to sacrifice. He took, he, he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went, both of them together. And Isaac, it, it, I, I'm a father. I got two boys. And when I read this, this, this just breaks my heart. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my fa- look, look, the intimacy, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order to bound Isaac, his son, and, and somewhere in between, Abraham had to have told Isaac. So in order and bound his son Isaac, Isaac submitted to his, his father, bound his son Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, don't do not lay your hand on the board or do anything to him. For now I know. <laughs> and this angel of the Lord here perhaps was the, the Christ. We don't we don't know necessarily. No, what we knew, do know is that that it is said here. That that. Uh, that that the, he said here my verse where he said do not lay your hand on the board or do anything to uh, to him for now I know tested faith now I know that you fear God seeing you have not withheld your son your only son from me let's go back to Hebrews Finally, there's a son. Isaac is here. The son of promise is here. Isaac is perhaps now a teenager. He's not married yet. He hasn't, he wasn't married, so he hasn't had any children. And and Abraham loved Isaac. He was probably a proud parent who has been able to enjoy his miracle son for years now. But he was willing to offer up to God what he hold dear, which was Isaac. And that we must be able to do the same. Surrender what you hold dear to God. No, just no. This this was a severe. T- this is this happened for real, for real, for real. And this was a severe test for Abraham. In verse two, back in Genesis chapter twenty-two, verse two, he says, "Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go and offer him up as a burnt offering." And 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 Isaac said to his father, "My father." 
He said, here am I. Behold, the fire and the wood. Where is the lamp to burn? Can you imagine that? This, this, is, this is severe for, for, for Abraham. This is a severe test. But it says in Hebrews, here in Hebrews, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he who had received, verse 17, the writer goes on, this word receive is to embrace and to believe. He who had received, who had embraced the promises of God, he had embraced God's word, what God has said and had promised to him. He had, he had embraced that. And the writer says, was in the act of offering up his son. Abraham had all he needed. He had God's word. <laughs> he had received the promises. He didn't need an explanation. He, he, didn't, he didn't need God to, to tell him why he was doing what he, why he did, why he commanded what he commanded. He had everything that he needed. The prior promise of God. The writer says, he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son. He was surrendering what was dear. The one who had received God's promises, he, 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 is now, he put the knife to his son's throat with the intention of killing him because God commanded He was in the act of offering up his only son, his only son. And again, Abraham did have another son, Ishmael, through Hagar. But but it's, it's Isaac who was the unique one. He, he, he was the long awaited son of promise, the, the son born out of impossibility by the power of God. And, and for and again, for Abraham to obey, this will cost him. His son, his only son, the son he loved. And what the writer wants us to see here is that Abraham obeyed immediately. He heard what God commanded and it was a done deal. And at, at no point of the journey did he waver in his faith. And, and why is it so? In reality, if we think about it, even though Isaac was born to him and Sarah, Isaac really belonged to God. God had given Isaac to Abraham. And God could take him back if he wishes. Job said in Job chapter 1, verse 21, after God took his livestock and servants and his children, Job worshiped and said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
This is what worship is all about. Coming and saying, God, I am at your disposal. All that I possess is yours. And I don't need anything else because I have you and your word. So he was surrendered with, to God what he held dear. And we must do the same. And not only that, he submitted his future to God. If, 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 if Abraham offered up Isaac, there would be no future seed. Look at verse 18. Of whom it was said, through Isaac share your offspring. This is the future. We're talking about the future. And through Isaac share your offspring, future offspring, be named. The covenant promises that God made to Abraham was dependent upon Isaac. Genesis chapter 21, verse 12. And God will fulfill his covenant promises through Isaac. Out of Isaac, God would make Abraham exceedingly fruitful. No other son would be given this privilege. No, no other son of Abraham would, would be given this privilege. Only Isaac. And if Isaac died, the very promises that, that Abraham em, embraced would be in vain. There will be no descendants to inherit the land. There will be no nation. They will be back to square one. However, this impossible, these impossibilities did not limit his faith in God. He obeyed God. He entrusted his future to God. And as Abraham took his son Isaac up on the mountain to sacrifice him, he still on the way there. He still believed God's covenant promise to make make nations come through his very son. On the way there, he he was believing and trusting in the midst of his adversity, his hope and his trust was wholly fixed upon God who had faithfully kept his promise in the past. So he submitted his future to God, and so must we. We don't know what the future holds, but we know God got it. He got it. He got it under control. Even if it hurts us, even if it causes us pain, even if it seems to contradict what we believe about God, he has our best in mind. God is at work. God, Because you love God, God works all things according to his purpose for good for you. Because you're in Christ. So submit your future to God. And, 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 and lastly, strengthen your faith with the knowledge of God. Look at the beginning of verse 19, where we see Abraham trusted that God would be true to his character and fulfill his promise. He reasoned that God could do something that had never been done in history up to this point. He believed something that had never happened. Verse 19, he considered. This is an important word. He reasoned. Faith is not just blind faith. Faith 
takes God's word. It, it, it takes what God has, uh, God has revealed about himself. It takes what God has said, what God has said in his word, what God has promised in Christ. And, and it takes those things and it reasons and, it's, and, it, and it, it meditates and molds over those things and it comes to a conclusion. This is what Abraham did. He reasoned, he calculated, and because of, and, and now he's fully convinced, he's fully persuaded that God was able even to raise him from the dead. It, it was the greatness, it was the greatness of God, beloved. It wasn't Isaac. It, it, it wasn't Sarah. It wasn't. It was the greatness of God that kept Abraham. And this is why it's important to know God, to know his ways. This is why it's important to be in Bible study, to be sitting under the sound preaching of the word of God so that you can know God. Many of us are struggling in the faith because we're playing with God. We're letting other things distract us and keep us from knowing the God of heaven. God had revealed to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 7, verse 1. God said to Abraham, I am God Almighty. God had already told Abraham who he was. I am God Almighty. Genesis chapter 18. Remember, God speaking to Sarah, his wife, and no doubt Abraham knew about this conversation between God and Sarah. God asked Sarah, is anything too hard for the Lord? This is not blind faith. Abraham knew God. And he was learning about God. As the journey went, God revealed himself more and more. And at the end, he knew something else about God, didn't he? That's why he, well, he named that place, uh, the, the, the Lord will provide. He learned that. He didn't know that before. He had experienced God's mighty power in the past that in the past that overcame the impossibility of having a child at old age when it was impossible to have a child. And now by that same faith in, 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 in mighty God, he was persuaded and that if he went through this offering, uh, 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 went through this, this, this offering of his son as a burnt offering, he, he believed that God would raise his slain, burnt son from the dead. And we see this early in Genesis chapter 22, verse 5. Remember, Abraham said, we will go. We will go over there, worship, 
and come again to you. He, when he received that the command to go, to go this he 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 went because he knew God, even though it was difficult. And he'd never seen anybody raised from the dead. Now, in a sense, it could be said that he did receive Isaac back from the dead. This is what the writer closes with. From which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. He didn't have to offer up Isaac. Genesis chapter 22, verses 12 and 13, he said, uh, the, the angel of the Lord said, do not lay your hand on the board, do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Verse 13, and Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by the horns, by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. The Lord will provide. That's his that's his business. But that's God's business of how in his grace, how he will provide for us. That's his business. It's up to us. To Our business is just to obey. Now, I try to figure out beforehand. Just just our business is to obey. And so as I, I conclude, this is entire story. It is a foreshadowing of what God would do with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God gave Abraham the opportunity to show in his obedience what what God would do through his son. And that's what God does with us in our trials. He sends us through trials so that so that the world around us may may see the, the sufficiency of Christ. That he is truly a savior and that he is sufficient, that the grace that we have in Christ is sufficient. I'm getting ahead of myself. This is a this is a foreshadowing of what God would do through his son. Abraham said that God will in Genesis chapter 22, verse eight, God will provide himself a lamb. And guess what? He did it. This is what Hebrews has been all about. God has provided for himself a lamb, his son, his only son, his only begotten son, the son that he loved. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And Jesus. The Lamb of God. Willingly laid down his life like Isaac. Lay down upon that wood. Bound, allowed his, his, his father to bound him. Lay down on that wood. 
knowing that what comes next was his death. And he didn't have to go through it because Christ would do it. John 10 and 18 says, Jesus said, no one takes, talking about his life, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Isaiah 53 goes a little bit more in depth. It tells us of Christ. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Like Isaac, when Isaac willingly submitted himself to his father's act of binding him and laying him on the altar of sacrifice, he became a beautiful foreshadow of what Christ would do for us upon that wood, upon that cross. He cared just as Isaac carried the bundle of wood, Christ carried his own cross and was crucified upon it for you. Christ submitted himself to his crucifixion. And like Isaac, Christ could have resisted at any any attempt of him being uh, arrested and crucified. But you remember what Jesus told him? Jesus, Jesus said, you know, uh, the uh, Pilate said, I got power over you. Remember what Jesus said? I got legions of angels at my, I got legions of angels uh, uh, to deliver me at any time if I wanted to. All he needed was really one angel. But he didn't call on any angel to come and deliver him. And as for, for, for three days, as, as for Abraham, I, I, to, to him, Isaac was good as dead for the, for, the, for the three days, all the way up to he put that that knife to his son's throat. Christ laid down his light. He was in the grave for three days. Isaac didn't die, but Christ died. But Christ didn't stay dead. After three days in the grave, up from the grave, he arose. He arose. Death could not hold him. He conquered Satan and death and hell. And he was resurrected so that you might not die. So like we have another resurrection sermon. Ain't it? It's all right. He was resurrected so you might not die, but have eternal life if you believe in him and trust 
what is precious, your future, and your confidence to him. If you don't know the Savior, cast yourself upon this Savior. Trust in him who died and was raised to save sinners. So just a little bit of application. You will be tried like Abraham, beloved. Abraham, his faith in, 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 in his son, and uh, we, we won't be asked to, to sacrifice our children or our spouses or our coworkers or anything like that. We won't be asked to, to sacrifice in, in, in that way, put a knife to their throat. But God does require a sacrifice from you. He requires that you be willing to sacrifice all that you hold precious and dear in your heart. Primarily, God requires you. You must put yourself completely at the disposal of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. Either you will hate, either you will love one and hate the other. You will hold to one and despise the other. Matthew 6 and 24. Following Christ, you've got to go all the way. There is no middle ground following Christ. There, there is no middle ground. Jesus Christ says the, the command to follow him is that you must deny yourself. That's an absolute statement. You must submit all that you are to all that he is. That is absolute. There is what, what Christ called for is, is you, not part of you. We, 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 we try to compartmentalize our Christianity. The sacrifice that God is calling is all of you, all of your time, all of your possessions. Everything, all your desires, your wishes, your dreams. Everything. To, to walk with, with God in Christ, you must give your very self away to him in all things. You must love him more than you love anything else or anyone else in your life to the point to where you will say, yes, Lord, if this is what you want from me, I will do it. If I got to leave my family behind, yes, Lord, I will do it. If I got to leave my spouse behind, yes, Lord, I will do it. If I have to leave 
Lord, Oklahoma to come to eat it, Oklahoma. Yes, Lord, I'll do it. Because you commanded me to do it. Some of us don't take the Christian life real. We can't get past our little inconvenience, our hurts, our pains, our sufferings. We can't get past those things to serve Christ as we should because we don't love him as we should. God is sovereign. We can trust him. Nora and I was talking about the sermon yesterday. And this is I had this was just so profound. I had to write it down from Nora. This is what she said. God is not passive, but sovereignly controls and is actively working in every circumstance. Hallelujah. In every circumstance and in every believer to bring about his glory and our ultimate good, which is conformity to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust God, beloved. He is able to keep you, your past, your future. And not only that, when you struggle and live in the Christian life, remember Christ because it was he who was put to death for you. God God doesn't condemn you for being weak and struggling because Christ identified with you, Hebrews 2 and 17. He was made like his brothers in every way. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, Christ is able to sympathize with our weakness. And so when God asks us to do a hard thing, Christ can sympathize with us because it was Christ who allowed himself to be nailed to the cross and be put to death as a, as a man, like as a human being like us. He understands what it means to go through the difficulty of this life. Trust him. Be willing to say, Lord, where you send me, I will go. What you ask of me, I will give. And our children need to see this. We'll talk about this next week. Our children need to see our faith in God. This is, this is why the generations today are moving away from the church because we are moving away from God. We don't trust God. They don't see our faith in God pressing through the difficulty and serving him. And receiving his the teaching of his word, they don't see us doing that. Trust God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for Abraham and 
the supreme example of what it means to persist in faith and trust in you and in your promises given to us in your word. And Father, we thank you that you have given Christ our Savior who died for us and in him we have the, the, the privilege of coming before your throne of grace to find mercy and grace. Father, we thank you. It's because of Christ we have the, the Holy Spirit indwelling us, enabling us to know what it is that you have promised us in your word so that we may be obedient. He strengthens us through your word to obey you and to honor our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you for the word of your gospel. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who is able to bring that gospel home, perhaps to someone here who don't know Christ, who's not saved. And even perhaps now they feel the working of the Holy Spirit through the word of God, through what they've heard from the word of God. God is at work in their hearts, moving them to come to Christ. Father, we pray that, that you would do that so that they would become worshipers, worshipers of Christ, worshipers, true worshipers, which we're going to continue to talk about on Wednesday night. True worshipers, because that's what you desire. You desire worshipers. It doesn't say anything else in the Bible of what you desire. It says you desire worshipers. And people become worshipers through salvation in Christ. And we pray that that work would take place even now. In this moment. So that one may come crying out, what must I do to be saved? What you must do is trust in Christ, believe in Christ, submit all that you are to Christ and be willing to follow him and give all to him no matter what comes in your life. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for a savior who gave it all and who sets the example for us. Thank you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.